Well, good morning, everyone. I don't know about you, but I feel like I really am back in the 80s watching one of my favorite TV shows with a giant cliffhanger. I know you all are on the edge of your seats waiting to see if Marty and Doc will be able to find their friend to help them navigate the future. Well, uh, good morning. My name is Aaron, and I am so glad you joined us for Church on Line. I want to start with this today. Jesus, right before he goes back to be with his Father in heaven, he left, some, he left his, his followers with this fascinating promise. He says that whenever two or three gather in his name, for his sake, for his purpose, that in some mysterious but very real and powerful way, he is with them. Now, this is a really hard time because we are not able to be together physically yet. And yet, if Jesus is right, that wherever two or three gather in his name, he can be with them in a real and spiritual way. Here's what I want to encourage you with today. That maybe, just maybe, as you are gathered with your family or your friends or your community group, that Jesus can be with you in that moment as well. Well, listen, we are going to be uh, sending you some uh, important news this week. We've put together a plan for all the ministries in our church for how we're going to navigate these next two to three months together. Lots of stuff that's unknown, obviously, but we've been working hard to uh, put together some short-term plans that we think you're going to love that are really going to serve us as a church family in this season. So if you are on our email list, uh, don't worry. You're going to get that email this week. We'll also have all of that info on the web as well. And there's going to be a short video that I'm going to share with you because uh, I'm just excited to share with you the plans that we have in the works and really also uh, share with you how you can be praying for your church and for our mission. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Well, today we're continuing in our series, Back to Life. We've been looking at a guy in the Old Testament named Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah was a man. He was a Jewish man. He was part of God's people, but he was living in Babylon in what the Bible calls exile. You see, uh, God's people had been conquered and sacked by the Babylonians, and now Nehemiah is working really for the oppressor, for the enemy, when he gets word from his brother about how bad things had become back in the homeland, back in Jerusalem. So Nehemiah, uh, instead of sinking into despair, he prays to his God and he comes up with a plan. He asks his boss, King Artie, for a leave of absence, for some money, and for some bodyguards, and get this, he sets out for Jerusalem. We talked about that last week. But there's this line when he gets to Jerusalem that's really quite striking. Let me read it to you. This is from chapter 2, verses 11 to 12. This is Nehemiah in his own words. He says, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night, and don't miss this, with a few others. You see, I had not yet told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do, excuse me, to do for Jerusalem. So Nehemiah gets to the city. He's there for three days. And then he's, he heads out at night on horseback with his closest friends, just a few others, his bros, his small group. And he heads out and he assesses the city. And this is what they discover. They discover the gates, the walls, the pools. The entire city is in need of repair if the city is going to experience the life of God again. Getting back to life is something that Nehemiah wants for a city, but he's going to discover something essential right here. He's going to discover this truth, that if the city is going to get back to life, it's only going to happen with the help of others. 
If the city is going to get back to life, it is only going to happen in community. And that's exactly what I want to talk with you about today. And that's exactly what happens in chapter 3. This is so fascinating to me as someone who works in the church and leads in the church as a pastor. Nehemiah organizes the people, we see this in chapter 3, into small groups. And then he assigns each of them a spot around the city to work on. And let me just give you a sample, because really, this is the entirety of chapter 3. In fact, chapter 3 is a working around of the city in clockwise direction of all of these small groups and families assigned to different parts. Let me read a couple of these to you. Uh, This is just a sampling from chapter 3. He writes, the priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section. And the fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. We're going to get a lot of good baby names right here. Merimoth repaired the next section. Next to him was Meshulam. Next to him was Zadok. And Shalom, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. Talk about girl power. This is awesome. You see, Nehemiah discovers a much greater truth here that we see throughout the Bible from the beginning to the end, and and that is this, and that is that God never, never intended for us to do life alone. We've been talking about the vision of the Christian life. And and as a church, we've boiled this down into three simple words just so we can have some handholds. We talked about these last week. The three words, the three directions of the Christian life are up, in, and out. The upward life is the with God life. We are designed to experience a transformative, life-changing, and life-giving relationship with Jesus. There are a couple things that we do to engage that and to experience more of God in our life. Again, we talked about this last Sunday. It's through study of his word, through regular rhythms of worship, times of celebration, and of course, prayer. These are some of the things that contribute to the up, the with God kind of life. But today, as we come to this next chapter, I want to zero in on this truth that Nehemiah discovered, that God never intended us to live life alone. He's designed us, created us to do life with others. That's the in life, and that's the life I want to explore with you today. I was thinking about uh, the power of a phone call in my life. Does anyone remember phone calls? When was the last time you talked to someone on the phone? You know, it's kind of funny. Uh, a, a single phone call actually has the power to change the direction of our life. Maybe you've had that experience. I remember seven years ago, uh, I had just flown back from Charlotte to Los Angeles where I was living at the time. And right after I got off the airplane, I got a phone call from the executive pastor at Lake Forest Church saying, Aaron, uh, we want you to come and lead the team planting the church, a Lake Forest church in Denver. That single phone call changed my life forever. And maybe you've had that kind of experience Someone calls you, and it's great news. Maybe it's a job offer, or an old college buddy, or an expression of love, or the birth of a child, or acceptance to your dream school. Phone calls like that can be so great, so life-giving, but they are not always that positive, are they? Oftentimes, that phone call is because of a crisis. The doctor's office calls, and the news is not good. Or there was an accident, or you get a call about something that involves your children, and your heart just stops. The police, or... Or, or, or somebody is in trouble. 
Maybe, maybe you got a phone call or a text from someone you care about saying that they want to break up with you. By the way, uh, if you've ever thought about doing that, uh, can we just establish a simple rule as a church that no one in our church, young or old, would ever break up with someone over text? It's actually the 11th commandment in the Bible, thou shalt not break up by text. So, so let's just agree we won't do that. But maybe you got that call and there was a problem at work that is more than you can handle. It was a loss of someone you love. I can think of some phone calls that I will remember for the rest of my life exactly where I was when that call came in. I'll remember it until I die. But here's the thing. Here's the thing for all of us. One day, a phone call will come for you. One day, news will come that will turn your world upside down. And when that call comes, it will find you living in one of two conditions. It will find you living mostly in isolation, mostly disconnected from other people, largely on your own emotionally and relationally and spiritually, not sure if there's anybody you can reach out to, or, 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 it will find you living in community. You will be surrounded by some people who know you and love you because you will have eaten together and laughed together and cried together and played together and prayed and learned and struggled and done life together. And they will hold you up and strengthen you and support you and keep you together as if by an invisible force because it is. That's real community. The biblical writer of the book of Ecclesiastes contrasts the strength of people living in relationship with the fragility of people living in isolation. He writes this. He says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one there to help them. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You see, what the biblical writer of Ecclesiastes said thousands of years ago has actually been confirmed by research today. Harvard researcher Robert Putman writes uh, about the people who are, excuse me, he writes that people who are relationally isolated, get this, are actually more likely to experience colds, heart attacks, strokes, cancer, depression, and premature deaths of all sorts. He cites over a dozen studies that show people who are socially disconnected are between two to five times more likely to die from all causes compared to those who have close ties and social bonds. In fact, he actually goes on to summarize his research this way. He says, if you changed nothing else about your life, you didn't change your diet, your exercise, anything, but you simply joined a small group of people that have meaningful connections, he says that simple, singular step would cut your chances of dying in this next year in half. That's pretty remarkable. Two are better than one. A cord of three is not easily broken. You see, God's plan from the beginning was that no one, no one would do life alone. Everyone would have a spiritual community where they are known and loved and cared for, where they can grow and learn and thrive. And this plan, his plan for this, is called the church. There's never been anything quite like the church. 
It's described, the early church, in the book of Acts in the New Testament in the Bible. And some of you will know this, but Acts chapter 2 is kind of the classic passage for the birth of the church. And it says that these people, these Jesus followers who were living in a new kind of community, did something quite profound. It's captured in this one word. It says this. It says that they devoted themselves to community. They devoted themselves. They committed themselves. They learned together what the apostles taught about Jesus. They had fellowship with each other. They got real. They took off their masks, not their COVID ones, but their emotional, psychological. They prayed together. They ate together. They suffered together. And they shared with each other in quite extraordinarily generous ways. And they did this, the text says, because, because they, they were devoted to one another. And they actually did this on a daily basis. You see, the early church gathered every day in the temple for worship, and then they would go into each other's homes to break bread. It was actually the beginning of the first potlucks, only there was no green jello casserole because green jello casserole was an abomination to the Lord, unless it has marshmallows on top, and then it is considered pure and holy. But this commitment, this commitment to community, this devotion to doing life together, to gathering in homes, to sharing meals and praying and studying and growing was not always easy. And apparently, the busyness of life, gladiator little leagues, or just the pressures of Roman society began to press against God's design for his church. So much so, so much so that just a few years later, the author of Hebrews had to remind the early church of this devotion. He writes this, he says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Here it is, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You see, what we discover about community in the Bible, whether it's Nehemiah rebuilding the city of Jerusalem, Jesus gathering his disciples, or the church meeting in homes and in small groups, what we discover is simply this, that real community, biblical community, the kind of community that God came to create, real community is formed, it is not found. They devoted themselves. They committed themselves. And so with the time we have remaining today, I wanna to look at four essential ingredients for forming real community. If community, real community, is formed, that is, we have to create it, we have to shape it, it is not found. What kind of things go into forming and making real community? Well, the first one is simply this, and I've already alluded to it. The first thing we discover is that real community takes effort. It takes effort. And this is true of anything in life that is worth doing. I remember when I was in second grade, I, I moved a lot as a kid, and so I was uh, accustomed to starting in a new school or in a new neighborhood where I knew no one. But I remember particularly in second grade, my family had moved across town, and I was starting in a brand new school halfway through the year. I, I was nervous because, you know, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know if I was going to have any friends. I came home from the first day, and my mom asked me that question that every mom has asked her, every son or daughter at some point. She said, so Aaron, did you make any friends today? And of course, um, but, but here was the magic. My mom was onto something because did you notice the verb that she used? Did you make any friends today? 
Because real friendship, real relationship is something made. It is not something that is simply handed to us. It takes time. It takes investment. It takes prioritizing the relationship and giving my whole self to it. And that's what this word devoted is all about. It means to keep at it. Don't quit. Hang in there. And here's why I think this is so important for us today, because this is a real challenge in our instant microwavable society. We tend to think that friendship or community is just some kind of commodity. That it's, it's something we can go and find in a box on the shelf at Walmart. We can take it home, microwave it for two minutes, and bam, there you go. You got community and real friendship. But we know that's not how it works. It takes effort. And it takes that kind of consistent investment that the, writers of he- the writer of Hebrews was describing when he said, don't give up meeting together. Don't do it. Don't give in to that. You see, real community is formed. It's made. And that means you and I are going to have to make some difficult choices. What kind of time and investment are you willing to make this fall? to form real community. There's a men's group that uh, I meet with every week from our church, and it's great. It has become such a life-giving part of my weekly routine. We, we share, uh, we laugh, we pray, and we are forming a real community there. But you know, there are nights, if I'm honest, let me just be honest for a minute, there are nights when it would simply be easier to skip it, to stay home, I'm tired, I got some extra emails I need to get through, or there's stuff around the house. It would just be easier to do nothing, to stay home, to not make the effort. But I've learned better, I know better. And so we've devoted ourselves to one another. And real community is forming, and it's life-giving. So how about you? What kind of effort do you make towards real Christ-centered community in your life right now? Do you have a group of people that you are devoted to, committed to, that takes priority in your schedule? The first thing we learn about real community, forming it, is that it's going to take effort. And the second thing is this, forming real community takes honesty, takes honesty. You know, this, this ingredient, the second ingredient of honesty uh, is actually really kind of hard for us, right? I mentioned, but we, we, we tend to wear masks, not the COVID kind, but, but emotional and relational masks. We want to impress people when we meet them. I love how another pastor, Pastor Craig Rochelle, describes this. He says, we may impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. And isn't that true? Have you ever had this experience where you're in a group and and for a little while things are kind of kept pleasant or just on the surface? And then one day, one day, someone in the group risks sharing a little more honestly. Maybe it's a struggle or a fear or a challenge they're facing. And suddenly it's as if this sacred moment has just spread throughout the whole group. It's like the whole group like that goes deeper. And others begin to share more honestly too. It's like the courage to be honest created an invitation for others to join in. And the group goes to a whole new place that it had never been before. A friend of mine calls this holding space for one another. And I love the picture of that. 
You see, when we choose to share honestly, we have the opportunity to really get to know one another, to care for one another, and to form real community. But in order to, for that to happen, we have to s- decide to take off the masks. Again, not the COVID ones, but the ones we use to cover up or hide or, or pretend. I love the way the message translation puts this in James chapter 5, verse 16. James, the brother of Jesus, writes this. He says, make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can live whole and healed. And of course, James is talking about sin. He's also talking about just telling the truth about ourselves, about what's actually going on. And when we do that, James says there's a kind of wholeness, a kind of healness that we, uh, uh, wholeness, a kind of healing that we can experience in our lives. One of the dads in my group shared something really profound with me just this week. Uh, He said, Aaron, you know, I've known a lot of the guys in this group for years our kids have played on the same ball teams. We, some of us work out of the same gym. He said this, our relationships have always stayed kind of on the surface. But being in this group, he said, has changed that. We've gone deeper. My relationships are no longer just surface level relationships. You see, that's the power of honesty. That's the power of removing the mask. Well, the third ingredient in real community is this. It is simply grace. Grace. And lest that sound like just the religious uh, word to throw on it, let me tell you why this matters more than ever. (laughs) See, religious people, well, religious people kind of suffer with a little condition. Uh, Religious people, if they're not careful, they can become kind of judgy, right? They they can suffer from kind of a a self-righteous-itis disease, (laughs) And yet that kind of posture, that kind of position is the sure death blow to real community. See, Jesus must be at the center of every group. Look at the way Paul puts this in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. You see, the truth is, about you, the truth about me is that we are all flawed, broken, and sinful people. And at some point, I am going to disappoint you. I am going to bump into you. I am going to bruise you. And you are going to do the same to me. And the question is, how are we going to respond to that? Do you decide in that moment, you know what, this isn't the group for me, everybody here has problems, or I can only have community with people who always agree with me or think like me? I cannot be in a group where anybody is ever going to disappoint me. You see, Paul calls us to be kind and compassionate, forgiving, just as God forgave you. That is grace. And in our shared effort to form this kind of community, instead of looking at the shortcomings of others, we need to do a little heart examination ourselves. Am I bringing with me to this project of community, am I bringing with me grace? A deep understanding that I am to forgive you just as God has forgiven me. This is not easy. It is not. But a group that really understands grace is the most beautiful, attractive, life-giving, life-changing community that this world has ever seen. Which brings us to our fourth ingredient. If we're going to form real community, 
the fourth thing we need is we need a leader. We need a leader. You see, the simple truth in this world is that nothing happens without a leader. Nothing happens without someone who will raise their hand, step out and say, I am going to make this happen. I am going to form this community. I am going to follow Jesus. Will you come and follow him with me? And some of you, some of you have been gifted and called and equipped. You even have a dream and hope of creating that kind of community, and yet you are sitting on the bench waiting for someone else to form it for you. And what if, what if this is the time for you to raise your hand and say, okay, I'm ready to get on the ball field. I'm ready to get in the game. I'm ready to help form that kind of community so that others can experience the grace, love, and healing and care of Jesus. If that's you, I want to give you a little challenge. We actually have a 12-week class that we are offering this fall. It's specifically about this kind of group leadership. In the class, you're going to learn the basic skills and, and methods of forming and leading this kind of group. And this class is actually going to be offered both in person and online so that you don't have any excuse. <laughs> and what if that is the very invitation, the very step God would have you take? This fall. Well, as we conclude, let me summarize it this way. Here is the key. The time to build community and friendship and connection and spiritual bonds is not tomorrow. It is not next week. It is not next month. It is now. Because if you wait for the phone call to come, my friend, it will be too late. I've seen this so many times as a pastor. When the storm comes, when everything falls apart, people who live isolated lives feel way too awkward to ask for help. They don't have the energy at that point to do the work required. They actually become more isolated and more alone. The time to build community is before the phone call comes. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But maybe you're not in a crisis right now. Maybe you're feeling pretty self-sufficient today. Maybe you have life wired perfectly. But I'll make you two promises right now. And the first one is this. The phone call is going to come for you someday. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But one day it will come that, and you will realize that you need people. You need others. You need community. You cannot stand alone. A bursting heart or a dancing heart or a breaking heart will require people to come and stand by you. And the second promise is this. Even if you think you don't need anybody, somebody else needs you. Somebody needs your prayer. Somebody needs your encouragement. Somebody needs your perspective. Somebody needs your touch, your shoulder, your challenge, your hope. And this, my friends, is the strange truth that we know from the Scriptures. That when you offer community and support and caring to someone else, you also receive it. As Jesus says, it truly is better to give than receive because we discover that in giving, we also receive. And that's what doing life is all about doing life with others, doing life together. So the question, here's a question. What kind of community 
will you form this fall? What kind of community will you form? Well, I, I want to end by telling you a little bit of our strategy here at Lake Forest Church. We've actually got three opportunities for you this fall, three steps that you might want to take. And the first is simply getting involved in what we call group life. We've got groups for everyone. We've got men's groups, women's groups, mom's groups, dad's groups, couples groups, co-ed groups. We've got groups for middle schoolers. We've got groups for kids. We've got all kinds and sizes. And the point is simply this. We want everyone to find a group to belong to, a group of folks that they can do life with. And if you've been a part of one of those groups in the past, maybe your step is simply to email that group leader and say, hey, friends, what's our plan for this fall? Are we gathering online? Are we meeting outdoors in social distance ways? How can we be a part of doing life together again? Lots of group opportunities. I'm going to tell you about uh, some more of those next week. But, you know, one of the things that we know is that if you're new, and I, I've actually talked to some folks who've joined the church just recently, they've only been with us since this COVID season. And it can feel a little bit awkward if you're new, jumping into a group that's been going on for a while. So we've decided to do something brand new that we're calling Circles. Circles are small group experiences of people hosted at our church office uh, that simply gather together to discuss the topics that were talked about here during church online. These groups are live and online, so you can come in person or you can simply join over the internet. But the point is that these are safe, friendly places for everyone to come and experience a, just a taste of what it means to do life together. If you're new or you're not sure what your next step might look like, this is the perfect next step for you to get involved, to no longer just be an attender, to, but to be someone who is engaging and participating. Well, the third and final thing I've already mentioned, and that is our Growing Leaders 12-week journey. If you've ever thought about leading, if you've ever felt the tug, say, I, I really would love to be a part of creating that kind of community, would you have the courage to take God up on that invitation and, and come and discover what it might look like for you to be a part of forming real community here at Lake Forest Church? So what's your step? What's your step? As we think about the up life with God, that in life, doing life together, what step is God calling you to take this fall? Let me pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that you did not create us to do life alone. That from the very beginning, your heart was for us to experience real community, real fellowship, real friendship with others who also love and serve you. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of the church and for the many opportunities for us to care for one another, shoulder burdens together, pray, study, learn, grow. God, we want that kind of community in our life this fall. So for everyone joining me online, Lord, right now, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you simply whisper into their heart the step that you are inviting them to take? How can they be a part of forming real community in this season? Would you lead them? Would you lead us as a church? Would you knit our hearts and lives together? I pray in Jesus' name, amen.